Wow. That's some hermit. The untold, <laughs> the unsung hero of the play. Right? The hermit. The hermit. I'm James. And this is Not Not Another Another Shakespeare Shakespeare Podcast. Podcast. The podcast that takes neither itself nor Shakespeare very seriously. And today we are talking about a fan favorite play, one of the ones that people just love to love, As You Like It. So, Rosalind and Orlando are about to meet each other in the forest. This is where things start to get really juicy. Everything up to now has been sort of set up and preamble. And now we're in Act 3, where we start to get the kind of, you know, the in our, the in our sort of three-act structure that we think of for storytelling, this is the, the sort of uh, the, the middle, it's the second act. It's where things are sort of accelerating. We have all the backstory we need. Now it's getting good. So Orlando has been tacking poems to trees, and, and it's, these are love poems to Rosalind, who he doesn't know is in the forest, right? He's, he's just so um, heartsick for her that he feels he must put these poems around. Put them out there in the world. Yep. I think he may have taken that advice a bit literally. Yeah, he's, he's from manifesting. The, from the stones that were telling him that. Yeah. <laughs> he's listening to the stones a little too much. So he's, he's hanging these poems on trees and... Um, Celia and, and Rosalind and Touchstone are finding them and they are, I cannot stress this enough, terrible poems. They're really bad. Are they supposed to be? Yes. Uh, so it's like a comedy of like this guy thinks he's being romantic but he's actually just being stupid. Yeah, but actually these are terrible. Yeah. I like that. I like, I like bad things. Yeah. And so uh, there's a whole scene where uh, Celia and, and Rosalind and Touchstone are making fun of the terrible poems. Um, and I'll, I'll read you a bit of this. Are you ready? You ready to be... Um, I am ready. Are you ready to feel extremely aroused by this love poetry? Yeah, hang on. Just get some room. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Why should this a desert be, for it is unpeopled? No. Tongues I'll hang on every tree that shall civil sayings show. Some how brief the life of man runs his erring pilgrimage, that the stretching of a span buckles in his sum of age. Some of violated vows twixt the souls of friend and friend, but upon the fairest boughs, or at every sentence end, will I Rosalinda write. Wow. It's quite overwrought. Yeah. First, first point. It's, I mean, it's almost every love poem cliche there is. It is, and it feels quite extreme. It's extreme. It's like, yeah, I, I feel like if if someone wrote a love poem to me, which has never happened, but, you know. Is, is that a hint? It, it could be a hint. I'm a terrible poet. <laughs> well, then you'll be on par with, um, I was going to call him Oswald. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Oswald. <laughs> Orlando. Yes. He's trying so hard, bless him. He's trying too hard, I think. Yeah. I Look, this, this is my hot take on the play, is Rosalind could do better. Than She's, Orlando. Oswald, than Orlando. Than Oswald. Oswald. <laughs> I just think, like, I don't, I don't love Rosalind the way that people love Rosalind, but I do think she's smart. 
Um, and I think she's smarter than he is. But, I mean, in his defense, he did beat that, like, wrestler who, who like, killed a bunch of people. So he's, he's got to be pretty, like, buff or something, you know? Yeah, he's buff. He's buff, he's strong, and he thinks he's a wonderful poet. I mean, that's... Is that the end of the world? In I your mind, yeah. I, you, you love, I wouldn't date him, you is what I'm saying. Him. I wouldn't date him. I guess he'd probably get quite annoying after a while. Yeah. He just keeps coming in like, oh, I wrote a new poem for you. Can you imagine like every holiday, birthday, Valentine's Day of your life, waking up with like one of these on your pillow and having to pretend it's lovely every time? Yeah, or go into the garden and, oh, he's been pinning those bloody poems on the trees again. <laughs> get out poor of the trees. Get home from work at the end of the day. Like, oh, fuck's sake, there's another one. Now he's putting them in the neighborhood tree. I don't. These are private. I just want everyone to know how much I love you. These are these are my private shame. Take them down. <laughs> so oh, poor poor Orlando. He tries. He tries. He tries too hard. I don't. I mean, I don't think he's like a toxic person. I just think he's no. He doesn't. He doesn't sound. I mean, that's why I was sort of slightly defending him. Yeah. In in the scheme of dick. in the scheme of Shakespeare men, you could do worse. He's an eight. He's, <laughs> yeah. Um, so they they make a lot of fun of him and they make fun of the fact that he's a terrible poet. Um, and, and he is. I mean, he genuinely is very bad. But they find out then that he's sort of in, in the area, right? Celia has seen him herself um, and is, is reporting to Rosalind that he's nearby. And Rosalind flips out because remember she is disguised as a boy yes so here's our here's you know tick tick off our shakespeare comedy yep. tropes checklist here's the gay panic he can't know that it's her right so that's a that's a big risk to reveal her location but also he's the love of her life despite these horrible poems and she you know she says alas the day what shall i do with my doublet and hose what how how shall i present to him um and she asks celia a, a million um, rapid fire questions. She's got this whole speech that's just like, well, how did he look and where did he go and why is he here? And classic, classic kind of comedy thing of, of you know, mouth running faster than brain. And she comes up with this idea that she's going to sort of talk to him um, and get to know him and she's going to pretend to be Rosalind so that he can practice wooing Rosalind for when he someday eventually meets her again. Okay. Because that's a normal thing to do. Yeah, that's the... That's that's how a lot of relationships kind of start. I mean, that's how you and I met. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a, a normal thing you would do, is it? It's not the most obvious solution to the problem. No. 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 But Orlando goes for it. Um, he agrees that, that he should... Uh, that he will do this um, because he uh, is so desperate to to be he's with Rosalind. Desperate. He's, pretty, he's desperate. pretty desperate. We've established that he's not the brightest bulb. No, I think maybe he may have got some sort of damage in that, that wrestling match, <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> I mean, keep in mind, he's only met Rosalind once, right? So he's he's following the, you know, tick Shakespeare tropes checklist, meet someone once, fall desperately in love. Love at first sight. Love at first sight. Um, but I, you know, we don't have Instagram in this period. We, it's not like he can Facebook stalk her and like look at all her pictures. So he's he totally would. He totally, he totally would. would be that he guy totally going, would. Who's who's this man you're with? And it's like, oh, that's old Adam in the background. 
They don't like him. That's that's all that you know. You introduced us. So Rosalind can kind of convinces him to to play along with this game, um, and he agrees to kind of come to her for training in in wooing women. Sounds like he needs it. To be fair, he does. He does need it. Um, meanwhile, Touchstone has himself fallen in love. So there's this um, this woman, Audrey, in the forest, um, who is but a simple forest woman who Touchstone is is deeply in love with uh, and is planning to marry. And Jaquees gets involved and, you know, whatever. Fuck Jaquees. <laughs> I've seen productions where I've found the character funny, but I just hate him. Like, okay, you know in New Girl? Yep. Like, you know how Schmidt is a funny character, but he'd be so annoying as he an actual is, friend? Yeah. That's how Jaquees is for me. I think he he can be funny in performance, but I just hate him as a person. So Audrey and Touchstone are um, are looking to get married. The priest that they go to is not very good, um, and he does it wrong, and so they're not actually married. And That's not a very good priest. I mean, no, you he... think that as a priest, <laughs> one of your, like, you know, your, your main, main thing, jobs. Main jobs, right, you got baptism, you got a wedding, and you got a funeral, and, like, I mean, surely those are your kind of your big three. Those are your bread and butter. Those bread and butter. The things you got to know how to do. Oh, I married them wrong. This is the fourth time this week. I don't know what's going on. I married. I married him to that tree by mistake. He was seemed very keen. He was licking that tree earlier. I, I don't know where I got confused, but <laughs> maybe maybe Sir Oliver Martex, who's the the priest, has been eating the mushrooms too. That's very likely. Everyone in this forest is. High as balls. How does he get the marriage wrong, though? Do we know? Or? It's it's a sort of um, functional thing. It's that, you know, he just doesn't say all the words. He, his he, name is Sir he's Oliver. High. He's forgotten. <laughs> he's forgotten the key parts. Kind of, yeah. The I do. He's forgotten the I do's. His name is Sir Oliver Martext, as in, like, messes up the text. So anyone could have seen this coming. Yeah, you'd think that maybe maybe it's on maybe it's on touchstone. Yeah. You know, maybe he and, and Audrey's maybe they should have been like, Oh, we've you know, several priests we could go to for this marriage, but I don't know about this Martex guy. He sounds he, he sounds, sounds like he says words really good. He sounds like he's gonna knock this out of the park. He's do you know what Sir Oliver Martex is like? He's a little bit like um Derek Zoolander. With yeah. the the Derek Zoolander Center for Children Who Want to Learn to Read Good. Yeah, it, it does. It does have that vibe. That's that's the vibe he has. He, he, maybe he was like, "I'm not very good at speaking. I'm not very good at an- understanding the importance of words. So I'll become a priest." Yep. That surely won't have any repercussions on on what I do and and how I officiate important ceremonies. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Everyone in this forest is high. Who will know? It's true. No one knows. People are listening to stones. I mean, I can't be any worse than a stone. And yet. (laughs) (laughs) They should have got the stone to officiate it. That would be better. Yeah, a giant rock. giant rock. (laughs) Officiating the wedding. Um, So yeah, they they don't get married, which is important because the very last scene of the play when Hyman shows up is when all the weddings happen. Yeah, when the Hyman shows up. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) You're not over it, are you? No, it's a bit childish, <laughs> but I'm not. <laughs> it is a stupid name. Did they call it hymen in those days? I don't know, when, actually. When did, when did the word hymen come into use? Like, for the anatomical part of the body? Yeah. I, You know, to be honest, I don't, 
I don't know. They probably knew what it was. They were aware of it because there were things like virginity tests where someone would actually get up your cooch and check that it was there. And they would be like, it's not there. Not a virgin. Not a virgin. Yeah, but they they sort of um, believed in the functionality of a hymen, but I don't know what they called it. That would be an interesting one for um, people who are more historians than I am to maybe tell us in the yeah, in the comments in the on comments, this one. Get on it. We want to know this. This is important, important information. Important information. We need as a society. We, I mean, to be honest, I do think as a society we need to understand the history of of women's sexual health better. Um, yeah. So specifically the hymen. Specifically, what was the name of the, what was the hymen called in, in the early modern period? I yes. don't I don't know, to be honest. Um I know the word vagina was not used in that way. Not um, ye old hymen. <laughs> <laughs> I believe every, anything from that period was prefixed with the term ye old. Yes. Literally, that's why Shakespeare's plays are so long, because literally every word they say, they have to say ye old first. They went to ye old forest, and there <laughs> they spoke to ye old Adam. <laughs> and they learned from ye old rocks. <laughs> Okay, so Rosalind uh, is is sort of giving these lessons to Orlando. Um, Touchstone has fallen in love. Uh, we have you know some forest foresty antics happening in Act Three here. There's a lot of antics. In There's the a lot of antics in this play. Um, it's a very anticky play, um, and I feel like telling you the plot kind of doesn't do justice to all the wordplay in it. It's a very witty play. Mm. Um, it's got a lot of kind of quick back and forth between all the characters. Um, some of the humor is a little bit obscure. Um, I've been editing this play for the Arden Performance Editions recently, and Arden Performance Editions are very, um, they have very streamlined notes. So you're, you're meant to kind of describe the thing in as few words as possible. And there are a couple where it was such a challenge to try and reduce to like one sentence (laughs) what was happening. A couple of times I just resorted to the phrase, a complex, obscure pun, because how well I mean you know if you have to explain like the history of rats in Ireland to understand the joke history of rats history of rats wow yeah because we all know about the history of rats it's a joke that everyone's going to get it's It's a a really topical relevant thing Um, yeah I mean you just Is is it one of those where he's like showing off what he knows I think it probably made sense at the time. Ooh, I think oh, it's okay. it's the kind of thing where if we made a joke about um, Putin and uh, and Boris yeah. now, it would make sense to everybody. But in 400 years, are people going to get that reference? Maybe, maybe not. No. I don't know what else to say. You know, 400 years. Joke's yeah, I mean, age. Fair enough, fair Joke's enough. age. You get a lot of that in things anyway. A lot of comedy ages, doesn't it? Just because yeah. it's, if it's specific... It, yeah, and even even some of the wordplay. I mean, language evolves over time, um, and so I don't think it's I don't think it's fair to expect a four hundred year old play to kind of be, you know, as funny as it was at the time. No, I mean, that's fair enough. Yeah, but it is it is quite a funny play. There's a lot of it that that does hold up. There's a lot of kind of physical humor. There's a lot of sort of witty back and forth. A lot of funny wordplay. Bounce. Um, bounce. Yeah, mad bounce. Okay, so all the all the, those forest antics are happening, and then we cut back to Silvius and Phoebe. Remember them? Yes, the shepherd. <laughs> the shepherd. The shepherd who is madly in love with a woman who does not reciprocate those feelings, but somehow they're going to get married. Yes. 
So Silvius and Phoebe are in the forest and uh, Rosalind and uh, Celia and uh, Corin kind of come, a, come upon them um, mid-fight, right? So they're, they're sort of discussing with each other the fact that Phoebe does not love Silvius at all and she makes this abundantly clear with a big speech about how, um, you know, she really, really, really does not like him. Um, and it's, it's quite a good speech, actually. I like this speech. Mm. It's, a, it's a nice little audition speech. Um, that you can sort of pluck oh, out. Good. and Yeah, it's a good one. Act three, scene five, for anyone who wants to look it up. Audition that one. Yeah. And Silvius uh, doesn't want to hear it. He oh, says, he's you know, just one of those dudes. He sounds yeah. like an absolute dick. Yeah, he he says that, um, you know, thou then shall you know the wounds invisible that love's keen arrows make. And Phoebe's like, yeah, but go away. I don't, I don't, well, want, to, I don't want to I'm talk to you Phoebe. anymore. I'm with Phoebe. Yeah, I think, I think Phoebe is... She gets a very unsympathetic representation in the play, but I actually feel like Phoebe gets a, you know, well, a bad rap. A bad rap. Yeah, and we get the impression that Sylvius has been at this for quite a long time, right? She's she's sort of at the end of her rope with him. There's a lot of, you know, lovelorn men in this play, aren't there? Yeah. Who were uh, kind of they're so melodramatic, annoying. Orlando doesn't seem as bad. Yeah, I think Orlando's okay. He's just sort of a drama queen. Yeah. Um, Silvius, on the other hand, is yeah. is persistent when he's been clearly told more than once that there's no interest. No means no. Mm-hmm. That's it, Silvius. No means no. Yeah. But Rosalind comes in and she complicates things because she is dressed as a boy. She's presumably very attractive. Um, she feels bad for Silvius because she also has been separated from her love, Orlando, and she goes on a bit of a rant at Phoebe. Um, and it's a it's a very mean speech. It's really, really like people love She's like Ros- a mean girl. She is a mean girl. And people love Rosalind, but I look at this speech and I feel like I can't love her because she's so cruel to Phoebe. Um, and a lot of it is very um class inflected, it's very racially inflected, it's really like she complains about having her her having dark hair and dark eyebrows. She says that her hand is leathern, as in like browned by the sun. Wow. So she's both working class outdoors and dark skinned. Um, so that it's really it's, she's kind of basically saying you better be grateful for for the offer. Pretty much, pretty much. yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, and Phoebe decides that. She is in love with Rosalind. There we go. Ganymede. Right. And so Rosalind kind of leaves the scene being like, Phoebe is. Phoebe says, sweet wait, youth. Wait, hang on. She's just been berated by Rosalind. And now she's like, oh, I'm so attracted. <laughs> yeah. She, they all need therapy. She's, she's got a thing for, uh, you know, treat and mean, keep them keen. Yeah, I think she's got a bit of a bad boy. Yeah, well, I don't know. It might it might be fetishy, maybe fetishy. Yeah, like sort of like a yeah, like a humiliation kink. Yeah, yeah. Regardless, she falls in love immediately. As as you do, as you do. Everyone in this play needs therapy. I can't I can't stress that. They need more (laughs) of those plants from the forest, even though they've been quite, you know, liberally consuming those plants they probably need more they need to be chill (laughs) yeah 
So Phoebe falls in love with Rosalind right away and says, Sweet youth, I pray you chide a year together. I had rather hear you chide than this man, Silvius. Woo. And Rosalind's like, oh, for fuck's sake, like, I'm not even actually a man. And, and she tries to kind of put Phoebe off and is, you know, I, I pray you do not fall in love with me for I am falser than vows made in wine. Besides, I like you not. <laughs> like, I'm an imposter and also I hate you. Mm. Lots of reasons not to fall in love with me. Um, but Phoebe does anyway. Uh, and I feel like there's a lot of people falling in love against their will or against better judgment. Yeah, that's how love works, right? Love is blind. I guess. So they say. Um, so Phoebe takes advantage of the fact that Silvius would do absolutely anything for her to get Silvius to deliver a love letter to Ganymede. Silvius doesn't know what's in it. He he just is, she just tells him, deliver this letter to um, Ganymede, who is Rosalind, and Silvius goes and does it. Puppy dog. Meanwhile, <laughs> Orlando and Rosalind are are carrying on their sort of uh, courtship training in in the guise of Ganymede and and Orlando, and Rosalind gets Orlando to say that he will marry her, and while she's disguised as Ganymede, right. And she gets Celia to, like, perform the marriage. Not, not that, that terrible priest. Not Sir Oliver. <laughs> They've learned their lesson. <laughs> They've learned their lesson. They're avoiding Sir Oliver Martex. What qualifies Celia to perform the marriage is, is not clear. I don't know. She's probably more qualified than that priest. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she kind of gets, gets Orlando to promise that he would marry Rosalind. Um, and by the end of the scene, she's sort of gone, you know, I can't, he says, I, I can live no longer by thinking, right? I can't play this game with you anymore. I need the real Rosalind for real. And she's like, okay, well, if that is what you want, I can bring the real Rosalind here tomorrow. I thought it was good. <laughs> just give me five minutes. <laughs> yeah, no. I'll yeah, just nip into that cabin and Robert, Rosalind's going to appear. If if what you want is Rosalind, I, I can make that happen. Um, I can get her here. Meanwhile, um, she kind of also, uh, there, there's so many antics in this play. She kind of also um, gets the letter from Phoebe and is like, Silvius, do you know what's in this letter? And he's like, nah, I don't know, I just delivered it. She said I should, so I did. And Rosalind reads it out to him and is like, look, you can do better than this woman. You, you don't have to be in love with her. And he's like, yeah, I am, though. I really want her. So Rosalind kind of sets it up that, Okay, she's she's gonna make everything right. She's sort of starting to scheme the ending of the play. We're heading towards our our climactic final scene. But twist, haha, she and Celia are in the woods, and all of a sudden, this guy comes up to them and is like, "Oh, are you the shepherd that lives in that cabin?" And Rosalind, to disguise his enemy, just like, "Yes, I am. What's going on?" Turns out Orlando has been attacked by a lion. Okay, that came out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. I told you plot twist. Plot twist. Plot twist. Lion. There are lions in this forest, apparently. Okay. Orlando has been attacked by a lion. Um, he didn't die, but he got pretty badly hurt. His, his arm got bitten. And it turns out that the man who's come to tell them this is Oliver, his brother, with whom he has reconciled. Just behind the scenes. Yep. That important plot point just, Oliver, just happened. you know, arrived in the forest, tried some of the mushrooms, felt better about himself. And I feel like everyone comes into this forest and they kind of enter into a kind of like a fugue of either being like 
really chill about things or just like falling madly in love with people pretty much that's and you you've kind of nailed one of the big themes of the play which is that the forest is this sort of topsy-turvy permissive fantasy world where anything can happen versus Mm. the the court with all of its sort of strictures and its rules yes Mm. it's sort of um, there you go kids go live in a forest yep eat those mushrooms shakespeare says shakespeare endorses this forest but well and Shakespeare doesn't totally endorse this for okay. us because, as you'll see at the end, everybody goes back to court. They have to. They must. It's like a holiday. You have to yeah, go back exactly. to work at some point. And exactly. It's soul crushing and depressing, but it's but part you of must. life. It's part of life. We must maintain the status quo, really, which is why Ganymede and Orlando can never be together. She must be Rosalind. Okay. Yeah. So Oliver is turned up. He's turned over a new leaf. He's reconciled with his brother. He saved him from this lion. Very good of him. Um, and Celia and Oliver fall in love immediately. Again? Yes. The forest is kicking in then again, right? Yep. The, the mushrooms. Yep. The mushrooms, the forest, whatever whatever drugs are in the air, they are working their magic on Celia but and Oliver. Have these people kind of met in the court though before? No, not as far as I know. No, okay. I don't know. So I feel like there's a lot of people randomly falling in love. Yes. And had not any of these people known each other in the, in the court before? Or had I, any exposure to each other before? I mean, I don't know, to be honest. It, it would make sense if they had, but it also the sense. play doesn't really work if they have. I mean, that, I guess that means that the maybe they had had a, a casting glance or whatever, mm. and that, you know, when they're in the forest and they're under the spell of the forest, that they're suddenly like, ooh, yeah. The mushrooms. Ooh, that's sweet <laughs> Oliver. <laughs> it's all the mushrooms. Well, I guess they, maybe she was like, oh, that Oliver's a dick, and then she finds out that, oh, he actually saved... He saved Orlando from the lion. And yeah, I mean, they maybe don't, he's not that bad after all. Maybe he's pretty dreamy. They he's don't appear simple. to recognize him when when he arrives in the forest. And so maybe they genuinely have never met before. Mm. I don't know. Okay, so Oliver's telling them this story about how Orlando was attacked by the lion and he saved him. And uh, Ganymede slash Rosalind faints when he describes how much Orlando was bleeding. Mm. Yes. And... There's a there's a sort of kind of reading of this scene where it's like Oliver realizes what's up, right? Like he he kind of recognizes that like hmm a man would not swoon <laughs> at the sight right, of blood. Right. Okay. Um and uh and Celia kind of you know gives him a hint uh, of it. Oliver says you know be of good cheer youth are you a man you lack a man's heart, and Rosalind replies I do so I confess it. Um, so there's this this sort of uh, wordplay that's poten- you could potentially particularly in a performance, sort of suggests that Oliver kind of has has the jig. Um, he knows what's up. Or not. It could be that he just doesn't realize it all. It could be that he's he's fooled by it. But Rosalind tries to play it off and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I was faking. It's faking, bro. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm strong. I'm a man. Yeah, yeah. We get a nice little sprinkling of toxic masculinity in yeah. here. Um, and, uh, yeah, so they all, you know, um, there's a there's a sort of side plot with this guy William who Audrey what, what side plots at the last minute? there's a lot of last minute side plots wow um, Touchstone he, he had like a, a certain length he was like oh I need to get this up to <laughs> being paid by the word yeah, yeah sort of yeah. Dickens approach he's got to, oh, I've got to get this up to a two hour performance three hour performance right yeah. got to just bang in those side plots just bring in the side plots bring in the Shit, side plots got to fill half an hour what am I going to do side plots side plots so there's this guy William who only has one scene who is also in love with Audrey and Touchstone is like, well, we're in love together. And Audrey's like, yeah, William, sorry, it's not going to happen. Um, so he, you know, he leaves. 
that's the whole scene. It's a bit like, it's a slightly more obscure reference. Um, you know in Christmas with the Cranks, <laughs> that whole thief side plot. Yes. What that the went hell nowhere. was that? That went That, that really, was just filler. That was, that just was filler. filler. It was filler. It really went nowhere. Yes. Will, William is like that. Act five, scene one. Um, I don't know. Maybe they had like an apprentice that they had to sort of work into it somehow. They had like promised him that he'd have a part in this play and right. they didn't have a scene for him. And at the last minute, Shakespeare was like, I guess this will work. I don't know. William is, is not very enough random. people are falling randomly in love. We better throw another one in. We better throw some just, more. Just for good measure. We need another love. What this play's really missing is a love triangle. Another love triangle. We've yeah. got to make this, we've got to make this uh, yeah. more over the top. Yep. Yeah. So uh, Rosalind has, has set up this kind of uh, elaborate final climactic scene where she's promised that Rosalind will appear. She promises um, Phoebe that if ever she were to marry a woman, she would marry her. But of course, she will never marry a woman because she is Rosalind and not Ganymede. And she makes Phoebe promise that if she marries anybody but Ganymede, Rosalind, she will marry Silvius. Yeah, Rosalind, in disguise as Ganymede, makes Phoebe promise that if Ganymede slash Rosalind marries somebody else, that Phoebe will marry Silvius. So he kind of extracts this promise out of her that Phoebe has no intention of keeping because she doesn't know that Ganymede is actually Rosalind. That feels quite manipulative of of Rosalind there. She is... Because she has all the information. Yeah. Yeah. And she's basically using it to get Phoebe married to, to someone she does not want to marry yep exactly um so this whole thing is is a giant setup and there's going to be i think four marriages in the last scene not with that priest not with that priest and no with, be like with hymen one marriage possibly <laughs> yeah no it's with with hymen um right so we get to the final scene um duke senior is there his whole court is there jaquies is there um all you know everybody's there um and Rosalind, still disguised as Ganymede, comes in and makes sure that everybody's clear about what they've promised to do. Um, so she's, you know, she says to Orlando, you definitely are going to marry Rosalind. And she says to Phoebe, um, you know, you'll marry me if I'm willing, but if you do refuse to marry me, then you'll give yourself to this most faithful shepherd, which is Silvius. Um, and she kind of, you know, puts all her, her ducks in a row. And then she goes off to put her womanly clothes on. Touchstone and Audrey arrive. Everything's going well. It's all good bants, good jokes. Um, and then Hyman, Rosalind, and Celia enter together. And everybody's out of their disguises. And we have some very stately music. Um, and Hyman gives a, a very stately speech about um, everything being good in the world. Duke Sr. realizes that Ganymede has been his daughter all along. Orlando realizes that Ganymede has been Rosalind all along. Everybody's like, whoa, mind blown. Um, Celia and Oliver are, you know, together. Um, Everybody happy, happy, happy. Hyman gives this nice speech um, about everybody marrying each other. Um, Phoebe says, well, I guess I made my promise. Um, I will, I'll marry Silvius. Um, Duke Sr. is really excited to see his uh, his daughter and his niece. Every Everybody's married. Everybody's happy. Tra-la-la. And then the second son of Sir Roland Du Bois, the middle brother of Orlando and Oliver, plot twist, arrives out of nowhere. We didn't even know this guy existed. Deus ex machina, if ever I saw one. And he he runs in and is like, whoa, everybody, 
listen to what I've got to say. And he reveals that Duke Frederick, hearing how that every day men of great worth resorted to this forest, addressed a mighty power and army, which were on foot in his own conduct, so he was leading this army, um, purposely to take his brother here and put him to the sword. So he's come to kill Duke Senior with an army <laughs> to the forest. And to the skirts, the outskirts of this wild wood he came, where meeting with an old religious man, the hermit, after some questions with him, therapy, was converted, both from his enterprise, as in this battle that he was planning to fight, and from the world, his crown bequeathing to his banished brother, and all their lands restored to them again that were with him exiled. This to be true, I do engage my life. So this second son we've never heard of comes out of nowhere and tells us that the main baddie of the whole play, Duke Frederick, has been converted by a random hermit, abandoned his army, abandoned his court, decided to live in the forest, and gives everything back to Duke Sr. Wow, that's some hermit. The untold, <laughs> the unsung hero of the play. Right? The hermit. The hermit. And he has no lines. He has no lines. Him, but he's working his magic. He is. He is. He, made, he worked everything out. Um... And in the end, Duke Sr. accepts this and decides that it's a good thing. He's going to go back to court. He's going to give up his magic mushrooms. But all but Jaquies, who decides to stay in the forest because he doesn't want to go back to court. He's got those mushrooms now. He's got those mushrooms. He wants the, he wants the shrooms. Yeah. Fair enough. He's an addict at this point. Yeah. That's the, the downside of the forest. Yep. Um. So the, the Duke kind of accepts that pretty quickly. Um, He's and probably like, oh, good. Yep. Another, another good happy ending. <laughs> yeah. Get rid of that melodramatic Yes. Fool. Although there was an RSC production that I saw a couple of years ago um, that I quite liked overall, and Jake Weiss was played by a woman, um, and there was sort of a suggestion at the end of the play that maybe she and Duke Sr. had been like, yeah, yeah, getting it on in the forest. Um, wow. At, just at this very last moment when he, because the Duke says to her, stay, Jake, we stay. Um, and there's this really beautiful tension between them um, mm -hmm. that I had never seen in production before. I, you could equally do it if Jake was played by a man, but I think the RSC felt like they could because Jake was a woman. Um, you know, what do you do with a, a woman on stage? She must be sexualized. At that's, some point, that's the rule. That's the rule. Thumb, that's the rule. So anyway, they have a the everybody's happy. There's all the married. Touchstone and Audrey are married. Everyone's Phoebe and Sylvia are married. Celia and Oliver are married. Rosalind and Orlando are married. Everybody's back in the genders that they started the play in, and they all troop off to the court except for Rosalind, who has an epilogue. Mm. And she says this really nice epilogue. Um, Unclear if the epilogue was performed kind of consistently with the play originally or if it was just like the first night epilogue because you had to sort of beg for applause because if a play wasn't popular, it wouldn't get revived. Anyway, um, she's got this very nice epilogue, um, which is quite fun. Um, and then that is the end of the play. And there we go. And there we go. As you like it. As you like it. A happy ending. A happy ending. Lots of marriages. Except for Phoebe. Who Except lives in a loveless Phoebe. marriage. Poor Phoebe. I do feel bad for Phoebe. Yeah. I feel a bit bad for her. I feel like she's tricked. She is. I feel like everyone else has, you know, gets what they want and she's tricked into marrying 
someone she doesn't want to be with. So yeah, that's as you like it. I mean, I, I hope you can see what I mean when I say that the forest is this kind of topsy-turvy holiday world um, and that they all end up, you know, despite the Duke's protestations at the beginning that he just loves being in the forest and everything is great and he's listening to these rocks tell him really deep things he's pretty quick to be like okay guess i'm going back to court now this has been fun yeah i feel like he kind of abandons the forest very easily Mm. and after all of that bonding he did with the rocks and the trees Mm -hmm. and he's just like it was just a summer romance i'm back off to court now yep see you later yep i guess jake stays yeah, someone's got to look after those rocks. Yeah. You don't want the rocks to feel abandoned. I mean, they're giving all those sermons. You don't want them to be talking to no one. True. True. Someone's got to be there someone's to hear. Someone's got to lick those trees. Got to hear what the rocks have to say. <laughs> got to lick the trees. So, yeah, that's that's as you like it. Did you like it? I did like it. It felt quite convoluted in parts. It's very convoluted uh, in parts. Yes. I liked the wrestling. <laughs> That's my favourite part. The very beginning. The very beginning. Uh, I like the lion. Do you see the lion in in stage performances? No, the lion happens off stage. I feel like there's quite a lot of stuff that's quite important that happens off stage in this play. And it sounds like there's a lot of stuff that you kind of skimmed over that's in the play that's not that important to what's happening. Sounds about right. It it feels quite odd that you would (laughs) skip off. And if we were doing our Expendables type remake... That lion would be getting a lot of airtime. Oh, absolutely. A lot of screen time. Lots of time for the lion. Yeah. Yeah. Epic battle yeah. with the, the lion. The hermit, unsung hero of the play, as yeah. you've said. The hermit. The hermit's got to be in it. He's yeah. like the, you know how like in every single fantasy kind of novel or series, there's always like, you know, the wise. The wise old man. Wise old the Obi-Wan man. Kenobi. Yeah. He's yeah. that wise old man. He is. And he gets absolutely no scenes. No credit. No credit. I feel like, yeah, the Hermit and, and Phoebe are the kind of victims in this play. They are. They are. What about old Adam? What happened to him? Yeah, I guess he's sort of still around. He's not dead. He's not dead. I guess that'd be a bit sad. <laughs> Everybody's happy except Adam died. I mean, Shakespeare could have <laughs> thrown in an extra plot. He loves throwing in those plot twists. He could have yeah. just thrown it in like near the end like, oh, and Adam died and everyone was sad. But then random brother we've never heard of appears and all is good again and all is good again i i really enjoy the random second son of sir roland du bois i think he's just fabulously random um because he could have been anybody it could have been like unnamed lord it could have been Mm. one of the the army that duke frederick had brought it could have been duke frederick himself coming to bring this news and and reconcile with his brother (laughs) but it's just this random guy we've never heard of Oh, yeah, you know my brother. Yeah, you know the brother we've never mentioned. <laughs> never talked about. Like, yeah, he's coming to court today. Did you know Yeah, he's, he found us yeah, in the forest. I've never talked about in my life. He's, Con- coming, he's coming for dinner. Yeah, conveniently today when we're all yeah. getting married and being happy. He's, he's not coming to help move this plot along in any way. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's a total coincidence that he has really important information that we need to wrap up the play. Yeah. So, I think we need to, to rank the play on our misogynometer. It's time to rank it on our misogynometer. Sound effect. Well, given that the last play we had, I gave a five. Mm-hmm. I think this one is probably a bit more misogynistic. Because? Because. I feel like Phoebe is the sort of victim of it here. And she's forced 
by trickery into a marriage that she doesn't actually want to be in. And I feel like there's the fact that everyone kind of has to get married at the end of it to legitimise these relationships Mm -hmm. is also a little bit... Well, old. I mean, it is old-fashioned, so there you go. But if you're judging it by modern standards, I don't think it really gives a lot of the female characters a lot of volition in, in mm. you know in choice in what 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 they want to do certainly not in there i mean there, there's a kind of argument that rosalind is more herself as ganymede that she's freer to be herself in the boy's disguise than she is as rosalind as a woman um so there's this sense of is it right that she sort of has to revert to mm. rosalind at the end of the play um particularly because she and orlando have so much flirty fun in their um, in their Orlando Ganymede relationship, and we don't know what happens where after the play ends. No, we don't know what happens There's with no that sequel. marriage. That marriage could go on the rocks as well it's if she's true. discovering that she preferred to be Ganymede. Yeah, I could see issues there mm-hmm. in the time period. Anyway, mm-hmm. so yeah, we don't we don't know what happens with them afterwards. But yeah, I think you're right that the the women of this play don't have a lot of agency as themselves. The reason that Rosalind gets so much agency in the play and has she's got, I think, the largest female role of any of Shakespeare's women. Okay. But it's largely in the man. body of Ganymede. Yeah. Yeah. In Shakespeare's defense. How dare you? Go I told on. you there might be one of these per episode. We'll uh-huh, see. Uh-huh. You know, would that be because it would have been played by a man at a time and it's almost easier to just have a man playing a woman dressed up as a man than having a man playing a woman i think definitely the um the convention of young men playing the female characters contributes to the fact that we have a lot of gender switching in these plays yes i don't know that that's a defense of shakespeare's quote-unquote most empowered woman spending the majority of the play performing as a man pretending to be a man that's true yeah well, a lot to digest there. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's where does it rank on oh, the misogynometer? It's, tr- it's a very difficult one Drum to roll. rank because I don't want to give it too high a rating because I'm aware of things that happen in other Shakespearean plays that are a lot worse. Mm-hmm. It's probably... I mean, if, you're, if I'm giving it a more generous reading, I'm probably going to give it a six. Okay. Um, if I'm focusing more on Phoebe, it might go up, but I'll I'll say a six because I just I'm just thinking that no one gets hurt. Yeah, I would I would say um, I probably rank this uh, the same as the Merry Wives of Windsor. I would say this is a seven. Um, I think the misogyny in it is again mostly, although not entirely, sort of under the surface. Phoebe being a very good example of of where it rears its head in public. Um, but I do I think it's a play that people a bit like Mary Wives, that people tend to think of as being more feminist or having more opportunity for sort of feminist readings. And I don't really agree with that. I think Rosalind kind of sucks. And I think regardless of whether you like her or not, she does, you know, her kind of most empowered um, scenes are when people think she's a boy. So I'm, I'm giving it a seven. You've been listening to Not Another Shakespeare Podcast, and this is our pre-recorded outro. If you liked this episode, please review and subscribe. If you hated this episode, maybe share it with a nemesis. 
You can follow us on social media at N.A. Shacks Podcast or check out our website, nashakespearepodcast.com. Thanks for listening and see thee next time. And fare thee well. <laughs>